0: Hello and welcome to the Politics Home podcast with me, Matt Honeycomb-Foster. I'm joined as ever on the pod by a man responsible for more scoops than Ben or Jerry, (laughs) Kevin (laughs) Schofield, editor of Politics Home. Hello Uh, Kevin. Hello there, Matt. Uh, It's been another Corker of a week in Westminster with more conservative civil war over no-deal Brexit, sugar taxes and of course fox hunting. Uh, And a few current members of the cabinet have been making clear that they're not thrilled about the prospect of Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister. Ballots are landing on Tory doorsteps as we speak, so is there still an upset to be had? Meanwhile, Jeremy Hunt and Jeremy Corbyn both managed to get into big fights with the civil service this week, and the Labour leader's done his absolute best to keep his one running for most of the week. Who better to help us make sense of all this than Susanna Brecknell? Susie is the editor of our Whitehall sister title, Civil Service World. A very warm welcome to the pod, Suit.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Um, Let's start with the Conservative leadership race. Um, Jeremy Hunt kicked off the week Kevin by really trying to ramp up the no deal Brexit rhetoric what exactly did he promise and why do you think he's made this turn
2: yeah well so this is a guy obviously who's said uh, earlier in the the campaign you know that uh, a no deal would be an absolute disaster it would be political suicide to to, to go that way for the Conservatives however I think as things are coming to the the crunch point of of the contest he now feels the need to sort of play to the the Tory base and start um, talking about the fact that he's not scared of a no-deal Brexit Um, and this week he began by saying that uh, if there was a no-deal Brexit uh, he would um, make six billion pounds available to help farmers and fishermen to the to the industries that most people acknowledge would be worst hit by trade tariffs being imposed by having to trade on WTO terms so he said he would do that as a as a fiscal stimulus essentially. Uh, on top of that he's also said that he would slash corporation tax and um, make one or two other tax changes and in total it would be something like a twenty billion pounds rescue package is what is what he said. Um I mean he, it's open to debate as to how effective that would be, it, or even if that cash is actually swilling around in the treasury's coffers. Let's not get bogged down in the uh, in the details. <laughs> then he
0: also uh, went into full caps lock tweet war with the BBC in a very kind of Donald Trump style. Do you, do you think somebody's had a word with Jeremy Hunt and told him he needs to uh, needs to put a bit
2: more fire in his belly? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, he is certainly trying in the early part of the campaign to paint himself as the reasonable, moderate candidate, I suppose, compared to the bombastic. Boris Johnson, you know, he's just trying to paint himself as, the, as a safe pair of hands. And I think, yeah, I think maybe someone's had a word in his ear and said, look, maybe if you want to really cut through, you want to start actually coming out swinging a little bit. And yeah, he had to go to the BBC over their um, debate set up, basically. The, the debate between him and Boris Johnson and the BBC is not going to take place basically until after uh, people have voted. So it's a bit of a waste of time, um, as you said earlier. Uh, ballot papers are starting to arrive in uh, Tory members' households right now, and it's generally accepted that ninety percent of them will vote straight away. So they'll send, they fill it and send it back within a day or two. Um, and if you know you're not going to have a debate actually between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt until you know well after people have voted, then what's the point? It's not going to make any difference to the final result. We had a bit of a blast from twenty seventeen this week with uh,
0: Jeremy Hunt basically. Uh, Hinting at repealing the fox hunting ban, if he had the chance in a fictional universe in which yeah. the Conservatives had a majority, um, do you think he meant to make that pledge? Uh, and and kind of is that the sort of thing that does play well with the Conservative membership?
2: Yeah, I don't think it was in the news management grid that his team would have would have drawn up. I think that's safe to say. He said it on uh, a rival podcast, Chopper's Brexit podcast, which is very very good. Uh, he was it was a very simple question, you know. He was just asked about fox hunting. And I think he was probably blindsided by it because he went on the Today programme the day after, or the day that it broke and started to roll back a bit. But his words are pretty pretty clear. He said, Yeah, you know, that he um it's part of our heritage is what he said, which I think is a bit of a curious thing to say, to be honest. We have I've not detected any great groundswell of of feeling that people want the fox hunting ban to be overturned, I think it's a pretty popular piece of legislation actually. So uh, yeah, it was a diversion. It got him bogged down in an area where he didn't need to be and probably didn't want to be. Uh, and I think it dismayed quite a few of his own his own supporters. You saw quite a lot of Tory MPs coming out on Twitter um, lambasting him for it. It was just felt like a really a really bad misstep. Do you think the hunt camp is panicking at this point? Uh, I think that's a fair um, assessment of of where their campaign is is now. I think they probably hoped to have maybe made more of an impact before ballot papers go out. I mean, we don't find out who's won for about another three weeks, um, but I think they can sense that the dial hasn't really shifted, that Boris Johnson still has a fairly comfortable lead amongst the members. I mean, there's been a little bit of... I think. I think a few people who have who are supporting Johnson to begin with are now coming over to to Jeremy Hunt because it's not as if Boris Johnson's run a great campaign. You know, the, their strategy has just basically been to try and keep him away from the general public um, as much as possible. Which I think a lot of people will be looking at, thinking, well, actually, if this guy wants to be prime minister, and his team aren't brave enough to put him up for interviews with journalists and that is a bit of a curious curious strategy but um, but yeah it doesn't feel like there's enough of a movement towards Jeremy Hunt and yeah I think you're probably right, I think there probably is a feeling now that he just has to start launching a few Hail Mary passes and just seeing if um, anything starts to actually cut through. Now
0: now Boris Johnson seems to have had um, a few uh, splits in his camp this week Mm. um, particularly with Health Secretary Matt Hancock first of all on a pledge to uh, end the public sector pay freeze uh, and then also on sugar taxes. Um, talk us through those, those two kind of rows and, and whether they they suggest that he, he's got quite a fragile coalition there.
2: Yeah, it, as I say, his campaign is is a strange one. I'm not entirely convinced that there is a coherent strategy. There, there definitely does seem to be quite a lot of um, uh, people involved in the campaign who are pulling in different directions. So You've got Matt Hancock, who, as we know, ran initially to be leader and got knocked out or he pulled out very very early when he realized he wasn't going to win um, and then through his lot in with, with Boris Johnson now he wrote a piece in the Times I think it was in which he said um, that if Boris Johnson becomes Prime Minister he's going to show he's going to show some love to the public sector workers he's there'll be no more pay freezes you know they've they've put up with a lot for the last 10 years pay freeze then a limit on on, on rises so um, at the time now was for them to actually uh, be rewarded for that. Um, and i seemed seen a pretty clear pledge, you would have thought, well that must be um, authorised by Boris Johnson himself. But then Boris Johnson came out and seemed to kind of roll back on it and it was very woolly, it was not a commitment anymore, it was something that they would look at. So that made Matt Hancock look a bit daft and it made the, the campaign just look a little bit um, fragmented and confused. Yeah, so then, um, so then, one of the announcements, one of the few announcements really that Boris Johnson's press team have have given to the to the press uh, during the campaign, uh, was a plan to uh, review so-called sin taxes, as he as he describes them, things like the sugar tax, things that are supposed to change people's behaviour, people make people eat and drink more more healthily. Um, he it was a, again he was playing to the base. He was talking about the n- nanny state and stuff like the things that really push. Tory buttons, you know, they think it's a terrible, um, heavy-handed government telling us what we can and can't do. Um, which, okay, fair enough, uh, if that's what you want to do, that's that's absolutely fine. But Matt Hancock, again, as health secretary, has championed sugar taxes and has, and has said that they're a great thing and have been very successful. So, again, it gave the impression of a campaign which is almost at war with itself, really.
0: Suze, we also saw allies of Boris Johnson this week um, float a plan to scrap a huge number of Whitehall departments. Um, there was some, some suggestion this was because, um, you know, those were the departments run by people who'd opposed <laughs> Boris Johnson. Um, but, you know, that's, that's not a new proposal, is it? We, we, do, hear t- we do hear people talk about this. Yeah, we hear a
1: lot of, especially in leadership times or people, uh, reshuffles coming up and they're trying to run up the flag ideas of things like this. So, and some of them we've heard Johnson talking about before. So he's said in the past he wants to sort of roll DFID, international development and international trade into the Foreign Office. People can make an argument for that. But this week they were listing, I think it was justice, business, transport, work and pensions, uh, culture, oh, and debt and DEXU all going to be scrapped or merged which is far beyond what we normally hear in this kind of speculation.
0: How do those big kind of mergers tend to go down a what because obviously when Theresa May came in she did a, a, bit, a bit of a reorganisation um, what's the view of how useful those are for a new PM?
1: Pretty useless I think I mean they serve a political purpose in that they kind of set out at where you're going to be going as a politician they allow you maybe to put people into new jobs or a you know give patronage in your way but in terms of actually good government um it's a waste of time a waste of money is the basic assessment and particularly with things like you know are we going to merge ministry of justice back into home office was one of the speculations this week well we split them however many years ago for a reason are we going to put department for working pensions this huge eighty thousand strong department that runs benefits for the whole country merge it with the treasury i mean people i spoke to were kind of Incredulous, he couldn't really do it, could he? Sort you know, they don't see it as realistic.
2: And I thought as well, this was it was it was another example of the confused nature of the Johnson campaign because, I mean, it's not officially come from Liz Truss, no. but everyone knew <laughs> this has come from Liz Truss. I mean, this is anyone that's spent any time in Liz Truss's company over the last couple of years knows that it's, this is her thing. She talks about it till the cows come home about the need to slash the size of Whitehall. She talks about how America only has, I'm not sure how many, but far fewer departments running its government than we do in the UK, and she says this is ridiculous. So it's obvious Liz Truss, big supporter of Boris Johnson, one of these cheerleaders in the media, has briefed us out, and it was unclear whether that had been sanctioned by the Boris Johnson campaign, because again, he didn't come in after it and say yeah this is absolutely what I want to do he he was kind of rolling back in it as well
1: yeah and I think uh, you, people in Whitehall will agree that there is you know there's cases for reforms you can say well this department needs to work better with that department or we need to make better links between certain policy areas but rarely is the answer to completely scrap one department or completely create a new department and because that just involves a lot of people time, a lot of money to set up new systems for no reason.
2: And at a time when we're supposed to be trying to get Brexit done. Exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not as if it's a quiet time in yeah, politics. You know? exactly.
0: I hope neither of you are suggesting this isn't a fully thought through and fully custom <laughs> Petish the thought. Speaking of um, plans not being kind of fully costed, um, Philip Hammond has uh, been pretty vocal this week and last about the uh, cost of the pledges made by the two candidates and also on a no deal Brexit and and the
2: impact that would have on the economy. Um, Is he mob happy now, Kevin? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he knows that his time in the Treasury is almost at an end, his time in the Cabinet Almost certainly is, is almost at an end. He's I think he's looking forward to going to the back benches and causing a bit of trouble. Um, by the sounds of things, I mean what he was saying was that the two candidates are tossing out all these big money pledges and they're claiming that this is going to come from what's known as the fiscal headroom, which he's created, which is basically spare cash floating around now to help implement Brexit. But the point that Philip Hammond was making was well, that's only available if we get a deal. If there's no deal, that money. Is going to fill the black hole that's going to be created in the economy by a no-deal Brexit. That money is not going to be available for tax cuts or pet projects or anything like that. It's basically going to be used for firefighting and so he was saying, look you can forget having that money if it's no deal because that'll be completely taken out of your control. Uh, and he was also saying again that no deal, he came up with this enormous figure of 90 billion pounds which is number 10 where um, been pretty disparaging about. I mean, it is. It is a figure. It's an official figure buried in a report and a graph somewhere to back up what he said. But it's. I think what he's done is he's basically trying to find the biggest possible number, the scariest figure he could come up with, to um, emphasise what he thinks would be the disastrous impact of a no deal Brexit. And that's that's basically what he's been doing. And he also said this week that you know when he goes to the back benches, he'll still be an MP and he is vehemently opposed to a no-deal Brexit, so more or less saying, you know, if a, f- a way can be found for MPs to vote to stop no-deal Brexit, he will vote against the government, which is quite a big big deal for the Chancellor to say that.
0: While we're talking about those, those no-deal rebels, is it fair to say Justice Secretary David Gawke Gork-
2: He's now fully uncorked, Kevin. He's definitely un- uncorked. Yet he is head of the Gawkward squad. Uh, I can't take. I can't take the credit for that one. I won't say who came up with it, but it wasn't me. Um, but yeah, he's given an interview to the House Magazine uh, this week, basically saying, saying the same thing. Getting back to Philip Hammond, just in case you'd missed all the other stuff he said earlier in the week, he's also been on the Nick Robinson podcast, emphasising it again, basically saying that Parliament will find a way to stop no deal, that's exactly what David Gawk is saying, so it does seem like there's a coordinated effort now for these Remainery um, cabinet ministers, they're basically firing a shot across the bows of both Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt and saying look, regardless of who wins, we're going to be on the back benches making trouble for you, so you better, you better get ready for that. <laughs>
0: Now, um, both of British politics's most prominent Jeremy's managed to take pot shots at the civil service this week. Um, Suze, how did Jeremy Hunt enrage officials?
1: So he threatened that he would cancel all of their leave if he was to become prime minister unless he received a signed letter from every permanent secretary telling him that they were all 100% ready for no deal.
0: So an email won't do. It's got to be a signed...
1: Yeah, not even just a letter. It has to be signed to prove they mean it.
0: What's the response been from some of the civil service unions to that? Because presumably they're not thrilled about the idea of their members' holidays being cancelled. No.
1: So the head of the FDA union, which represents the senior civil service, told Politics Home that Mm. this was a ludicrous idea um, and pointed out that actually 95% of civil servants haven't got anything to do with Brexit. So it would be stupid to uh, cancel all of their holiday. And then the uh, Prospect Union, which represents specialists in the civil service, they wrote to the head of HR for the whole civil service asking for assurances that this wouldn't happen, that there won't be blanket bans on people's holidays.
0: Did it it strike you more as a um, kind of pledge to win over the Tory membership than Um, an actual plan for
1: government? Yeah, absolutely. It's just sort of displaying his Brexit credentials and saying, I'm gung-ho about no deal and I'm going to make sure the civil service are as well.
0: So the other big row, of course, that, that's gone on for the whole week, um, thanks to the Labour press team wanting it to go on all week, uh, is uh, Jeremy Corbyn's big battle with uh, the civil service and the Cabinet Office. Um, hmm. Kevin, talk us through the
2: kind of um, minutiae of this, of this story. Yeah, so you have to go back to the sat- last Saturday morning when the Times front page splash was uh, civil servants claim Jeremy Corbyn is, quote, too frail to be Prime Minister. They had quoted um, anonymous civil servants, senior civil servants, I think it was two of them, I think, saying basically that uh, they think he's too frail, he's losing his memory, he's just not up to the job of being Prime Minister and they're concerned about that. Now, as you can imagine, the you-know-what hit hit the fan uh, when that story dropped and um, the Labour Party, General Corbyn's office, reacted very, very angrily about it and said, um, well, that this is evidence of a systemic attempt by the establishment, by the civil service, to undermine a potentially transformative, radical socialist, Jeremy Corbyn-led government, and as you say, they've, they've plugged away at this all week. As a media strategy, I'm not convinced it's the right one, because all you're doing is emphasising concerns which they say are completely false about Jeremy Corbyn's health. You know, you're just keeping that in the public eye all the time. Row about Jeremy's health, row about Jeremy's health. And it's like, well, even if it's not true, and I don't actually believe it is true, um, is it really smart to keep banging on about it? But anyway, the upshot is Sir Mark said, well, the cabinet secretary has announced an investigation into it. Um, The people, if they're identified who said it, they will be disciplined, potentially might lose their jobs. Labour have said, well, look, a cabinet office, inquiry won't cut it, that's basically the civil service marking its own homework. So they want it to be independent. So they've they've compromised. there was a big sit down between Jen Corbyn and Sir Mark Sedwell earlier in the week, I think Wednesday afternoon I think it was. And they've agreed that the Cabinet Office will carry out the investigation but there will be an independent element to it. But Labour are saying, look, unless you give us a couple of heads on platters, we're not going to be happy. So um so yeah we'll see how that one how that one pans out. Suze, how rare is it for
0: uh, senior civil servants to go uh, mouthing off to journalists like this?
1: I mean, it's not rare for senior civil servants to talk to journalists. Um, it's quite rare for senior civil servants to supposedly talk about leaders of the opposition to journalists or to kind of denigrate politicians to journalists. Um, I think in the original report it also mentioned that um, the these worries were openly discussed at a, a civil service event which of our understanding my understanding is that actually that was you know over the coffee at an internal training type event this was just a bit of gossiping so it's kind of being blown up as civil servants going out there and actively briefing some kind of with some kind of official sanction to brief against um corbyn but i think it's actually just a case of civil servants gossiping amongst themselves and then gossiping to journalists and that has yeah backfired or was Obviously, very unwise. Given the
0: amount of time Labour's spent talking about this this week, are um, kind of are CSW readers uh, worried that kind of you know both parties now seem to be um, ba- you know bashing the civil service and, and bashing Whitehall?
1: Yeah, I think there's been a growing concern about the rhetoric against the civil service. I mean, the civil service as an institution has it's an easy target for politicians, and it's been an easy target for a long time because it's kind of faceless bureaucrats that can't answer back. But in recent years, recent months, we've seen increasing in attacks on individuals in the civil service. So think particularly about Ollie Robbins, the chief Brexit negotiator, um, who we now understand, that, you know, well, he's expected to leave his post um, when the new prime minister comes in. And he's faced attacks weekly, if not more, just for doing his job. So I think there is a worry that it has, the rhetoric is ratcheting up, that it's becoming more individualised. Um, and in terms of... Corbyn and Labour joining in, I think there's a worry that that kind of undermines, there will eventually be an incoming Labour government, possibly, probably a Corbyn government, and the civil service needs to build a trust with them, needs to um, be able to advise them honestly to get their policies done, and if they come in, which they probably were already inclined to do, suspecting that the civil service is not for them, wanting to bring in their own people, not wanting to listen, then that's it's not going to make for a good relationship, it's not going to make for good policy it's not going to make for good government when they come in.
0: Kevin, is there a genuine feeling at the top of Labour that there is a kind of establishment uh, plot or an element of the civil service that is just out to get Jeremy Corbyn and stop a kind of you know um, very left-wing government from, from doing well in office?
2: Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, main spokesman was briefing us after Prime Minister's questions on, on Wednesday and, um, you know, you really let, let rip um, about uh, what the feelings are in the upper echelons of the labour party about um, about the behaviour of the civil servants I mean, and they don't see it as a couple of um, civil servants gossiping and mouthing off to the journalists they see it as a systemic uh, conspiracy against Jeremy Corbyn uh, they described it as unprecedented unacceptable uh, and he was very very open on it as well when he was asked well why do you think they're doing this and he said well it's because Jeremy corbyn's um got a radical platform and he wants to redistribute wealth and power in this country and he's on the verge of becoming prime minister and the civil service are desperately trying to stop that from happening so there's absolutely no doubt that they that they do see it as an establishment um plot against against their guy
1: and i think i'd I'd say obviously the civil service are taking it very seriously as well as you said mark said we'll met with him there's going to be this inquiry and they're taking he's taking it as something that he really needs to crack down on because he spent the last year to nine months speaking out about civil services impartial and you know writing to the times to counteract these briefings against civil servants so he needs to be seen to crack down on this and they are taking it they also see it's more important than just gossiping even if that's where it began from they're treating it as a serious thing although obviously they don't agree that it's sign of a conspiracy against Corbyn of course the whole of government. It's,
0: it's fair to say, Sue, that the civil service can't really answer back, can it, other than through the odd kind of letter to the Times or because it, it doesn't really have a, a collective voice in that sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mark Sedwell has been, has taken um, a more public um, role than previous cabinet secretaries. As I say, he wrote to the Times last October when he was actually still only interim cabinet secretary. And it was the first time a cabinet secretary had taken that step and spoken out against briefings on civil servants but usually yes they they can't go out there and answer back particularly when it's things like criticisms of Ollie robbins he obviously can't stand up and say i'm only doing what Theresa may is telling me and if you don't like it david davis that's because you've got a problem with her yeah um so they just have to absorb all of this which you know i, I spoke to the outgoing DEXU superm and he said it's a little bit par for the course, they kind of take it in their stride, but it, it does also sap their morale and they eventually say, why should we put up with this abuse and death threats in some cases, and the best move on.
0: Um, the other big story in Labourland this week, Kevin, um, I think it's fair to say, was one that you, you broke. Um, this was continuing fallout from the Chris Williamson mm. saga. Um, talk us through what's happened with uh, Labour MP Ellie Reeves.
2: Yeah, so I got a tip off from uh, a Labour MP, uh, not from Ellie Reeves, but I was tipped off that basically Ellie Reeves was under a bit of pressure in her um, constituency um, because she put her name to this letter last week saying that Chris Williamson should lose the Labour whip after he was um, let back into the party. Um, what made this particularly unsettling uh, for MPs versus a lot of Ellie Reeves's friends was that she's 22 weeks pregnant. Um, and you know the last thing she needs is grief from local members but uh, her one local member emailed the um, branch chairman it's called the CLP, the constituency Labour Party, the CLP chairman to say that he wanted a vote of no confidence in Ellie Reeves because she put her name to this letter and that he wanted it to be the start of a formal deselection process. Um, in response the chairman said basically instead of saying forget it, don't be daft, this is ridiculous. He talked him through the process, told him how he should word the motion, how many, even write down in the word count um, if, what, it, what it should be. Now, the reason this MP came to me was because Ellie Reeves went to Jeremy Corbyn's office on Monday, I think when it first arose, this issue, and was given no satisfaction, basically given no assurance that they would do anything about it. So they came to me and said, look, can you can you do something on this so we did and yeah it's fair to say it all kicked off after that our story landed on Tuesday afternoon Jeremy Corbyn's office had initially refused to comment when I approached them. then on Tuesday night I got a message from a Labour press officer saying oh I've just seen your story uh, here's a comment so it was from a Labour source but nothing to say that this was wrong or that Jeremy Corbyn condemned it or anything like that it was just basically a very bland statement Um that basically added more fuel to the fire and then eventually on Wednesday morning Jeremy Corbyn's office put out a statement uh, or a source I should say put out a statement saying um, that Jeremy condemns any attempt to deselect a pregnant MP and they're going to change the rules now that if you're a pregnant MP you can't face deselection. Um, so some good came of it, Ellie Reeve said like, she was pleased that they finally came out in support of her, wished that they'd done it on Monday but better late than never but again, it was just more bad publicity for the Labour Party and the sense that they had to be dragged kicking and screaming to do the right thing rather than doing it straight away. So, t- to make clear, this change came after the story
0: rather than, as has been reported somewhere, this was what was going to happen all along. No, no, definitely. His, his time.
2: No, definitely not. Um, the, the rules initially were that if you are on maternity leave, you can't be deselected but now they're gonna change it because Ellie Reeves isn't on maternity leave because she's only 22 weeks pregnant, so it'll be a bit early for her to to go off. Um, So they're now changing the rules so that if you're pregnant, you can't be deselected or face a deselection process until after you come back from having the baby. So, um, So yeah, that brought about a change because of our story.
0: How damaging has this, this whole saga been with um, kind of female Labour MPs? Are, there, are they up, up in arms about the way Ellie Reeves was, was initially treated? Or?
2: Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, female and and a lot of male MPs as well. You know, she got support, actually. Well, interestingly enough, as an aside, there's a female Labour MP WhatsApp group. And I'm told that when her story broke that night, it, there was a lot of support for Ellie Reeves on that WhatsApp group from members of it. But no... Um, members of the Shadow Cabinet, no female members of the Shadow Cabinet, came out and supported her. In actual fact, the only Shadow Cabinet members who publicly voiced their anger about this was John Ashworth, the Shadow Health Secretary, and Tom Watson, the Deputy Party Leader. Nothing from Don Butler, who's the Shadow Equalities Minister, um, who you might think might have had something to say about it, Emily Thornby, An- Angela Raynard, Becky Bailey, you name it. None of the women on the Labour in the Labour Shadow Cabinet actually said anything, which I think, again, went down pretty badly with um, Ella Reeves' friends. Now, there was a bit of a um,
0: truce in Labour after the 2017 election between the kind of Leader's Office and the Parliamentary Labour, Labour mm. Party. Do you get the sense at the minute that there's a bit more disquiet in the, <laughs> in the PLP and that
2: things are kind of coming to a head again? Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's putting it mildly. I mean, things are really bad. There was a terrible PLP meeting two or three weeks ago, which a few people there have said to me was the worst that they'd, that they'd ever experienced. And it's all really coming ahead over, over Brexit, over the fact that the party still, or that Jeremy Corbyn, I should say, still won't come round to committing absolutely unequivocally to a second referendum and remain, which everyone knows that's where they're going to end up, either before the summer or come party conference. But again, it's like the Ellie Reeves thing. It's like they, they, they need to be dragged, kicking and screaming, and generate as many bad headlines as they possibly can before things are resolved. And it, it looks as though that's what's going to happen with the whole Brexit. Policy stuff as well. So, we've got deeply divided
0: parties, uncosted spending plans, and uh, wars on impartial public servants. It's another great week here on the Politics <laughs> Home podcast. Uh, that is all we've got time for this week, guys. Thank you both for coming on the pod. Uh, if you listeners want to find out a little bit more about what's happening in Westminster, you can get our free seven day a week breakfast briefing. It's got some sharp analysis from one Kevin Schofield plus all the day's top stories and a packed events calendar. Just go to politicshome.com forward slash register and whack your email in. We'll see you same time, same place next week.
1: Yeah, porridge last time we did one of these things. Did I? Yeah, maybe that was...
2: Um, yeah, no, I, I do like porridge. It might be Mandy though. Yeah
1: the uh, had it I don't remember <laughs> yeah
2: he's Scott bloody oh, he's either so it's either porridge or
0: haggis